Hello, Real Life family and friends. Uh, Pastor Tim again, excited to be able to share God's Word with you today. And today we're going to talk about miracles. And to start out with, I'd love to invite you to just join me in prayer and ask for God's presence, His Spirit, just to speak to us. Lord, I just thank you for the opportunity to share your word. And Lord, we hunger for you. We long for you. And as we talk about miracles today, God, I pray that you would just uh, just pour out your healing power, not just for bodies, physical conditions, but Lord, for mental, uh, for um, emotional, for hurts. Um, Lord, to break off chains of bondage, to heal wounds, um, and to bring salvation, and Lord, to bring ma many healings to us. And so we just pray that the power of your word right now will be activated as we listen, as we speak it, as we think about it, as we discuss it. And uh, Lord, let your word go forth with great power and uh, produce results that only you can do in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, today uh, we are celebrating Palm Sunday, but I, I have a message for you about miracles. I believe in miracles, and I've been studying miracles lately, and recently I went through the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, and just looked for every miracle I could find, and I've been studying that for the last couple of weeks. And so I wanted to share with you some observations that I made about miracles uh, of Jesus, and, and just with a desire to experience all that God has for me and for you and in this world today. I know there's uh, been a lot of, um, I don't know for you, but for me, I've, I've always wondered about miracles. I've always wondered about uh, what does it take to get a miracle? Uh, why doesn't God heal everyone? Why does there seem to be certain waves of miracles? I don't know. I'm just curious and I'm hungry. I'm hungry for God. I want all that God wants for me. I want all that God wants for you. And I just don't want to leave anything on the table. And so I'm just leaning in, trying to learn and study and really seek the Lord because I believe that miracles are a part of Jesus's ministry still today. I believe that, um, that we are continuing to do what Jesus was doing on the earth. And so I'm evaluating myself, my own heart, my own thoughts, my own beliefs, and just saying, God, am I missing something? What, what else do I need to learn? What else do I need to do? Not that it's a works-based, you know, faith that we're living, but I want to make sure that I don't have doubt that's holding God back. I want to make sure that I understand what God is wanting to do. And I'm praying for a revival. I'm praying for a renewal. I'm praying for a great move of God in my life in our church's life, in our community, and in our nation, and in our world. And I believe God's going to do that. And it's, going to, it's just going to come as we hunger and thirst and draw near to God. And so I'm just trying to draw near to God and uh, just stir up my own faith in Him. And I, I just want to invite you on this journey with me as we study the miracles of Jesus today. Let your faith just connect with what Jesus is saying and doing and let that break out in our lives today. Amen? So let's just look at it. Hebrews 13.8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. It's pretty simple. Jesus is the same today as he was when he was on the earth. Now we have his spirit within us. He's obviously ruling and reigning at the right hand of God the Father, interceding for us, the Bible says, in the presence of God. But he has... Um, released and baptized us with His Spirit. And He has commissioned us to continue the work that He began on the earth. And so now the church 
is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are now Christians, many Jesuses, right? And so we continue to do what he's, he started to do. That's what Acts chapter 1 talks about. And so, <clears throat> excuse me. So what can we learn about the miracles from Jesus' miracles? Um, so I want to share four observations I've made as I've been studying uh, these miracles the last couple of weeks. And number one is the presence of Jesus. <laughs> sounds kind of like way too obvious to even make a point, but Jesus was there for every one of them. <laughs> okay. But my, my bigger point is this, we need Jesus. Okay. Miracles are not um, an act of man or woman. Uh, miracles, the power for miracles doesn't come from a person. It's, it's Jesus. It's the presence of Jesus. We need Jesus, and we need to go after Jesus. We need to seek Jesus. We need to bring people Jesus to Jesus. It's all about Jesus, okay? So Jesus is um, the number one observation I'm making about miracles, is, is Jesus is the author of all the miracles. It's the Spirit of God upon Jesus, God himself, intervening and, 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 and doing what only God can do, only what Jesus can do. Miracles come from him. They don't come from me or a person or a pastor or a televangelist or someone that's got a healing ministry. It doesn't come from that person. It may come through that person, but what's coming through that person is Jesus, the touch of God, the presence, the Holy Spirit, the, the miracle working power of Jesus is flowing through, right? Jesus made it all possible because he's the son of God and he identified with us and he took all of our sin upon himself. He took all of our failures, all of our shame, and he paid for it at the cross and he set us free so that miracles can happen. The miracle of salvation can happen, which is the greatest miracle that exists, is that you and I would come and have a born again experience, come into relationship with Jesus for all eternity. That's the greatest miracle that will, you'll ever participate in or see or witness or be a part of is the, 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 the relationship restoration of faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And if you haven't done that, do that right now. Just place your faith in Jesus. Surrender your entire life to Him. And you need Jesus. You need to come to know Him. But let me just go through a whole bunch of scriptures real quick. Okay, I'm going to repeat some of these scriptures throughout my message today because I've just... They're the same miracles and they're, they're the different ingredients. I'm going to keep re repeating. But first of all, this is what Jesus did when he was here. Matthew chapter 4, 23 to 24. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogue, proclaiming or preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. So he did those three things. He was teaching the word of God, proclaiming good news of the kingdom, and healing all sicknesses and diseases, delivering people from demonic uh, possession, all these types of things, right? And it says, news about him spread over Syria and people brought to him. So people are bringing to Jesus, right? The presence of Jesus, all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. So these people were brought into the presence of Jesus. We need to bring people to Jesus. We need to bring people into the presence of Jesus, right? So you'll see all these verses have some sort of coming to Jesus. Matthew 8, 2. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him. He came to Jesus. 
Matthew 8, 6, the centurion came to him asking for help for his paralyzed servant. Matthew 8, 16, when evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him. People would bring others to Jesus because he's the source of miracles, right? He's the source of life. In uh, Matthew 8, 28, when he arrived, Jesus, at the other side of the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They had an encounter with Jesus. They were in his presence. In his presence, they were delivered from, de from demons. Matthew 9, 2, some men brought to him, to Jesus, a paralytic lying on a mat. So some friends of a man who was paralyzed picked him up and literally brought him to Jesus. They got him into the presence of Jesus. Matthew 9, 18, a ruler came and knelt before him, came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died, but come, put your hand on her and she will live. So Jesus got up and went with him. And uh, this man, his name is Jairus, he, br he brought Jesus to his daughter. He got his daughter into the presence of Jesus. Matthew 9, 20, just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and she touched the edge of his cloak. And you know that story. And she was healed. And Jesus says, who touched me? You know, and, and so she got into the presence of Jesus. She literally got to a point where she touched him, touched the cloak, uh, the edge of his cloak, his, his prayer shawl. Matthew 9, 27, as Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him. Now that, it's just kind of ironic, isn't it? Blind men following Jesus. <laughs> Somehow they were following him. I don't know. They couldn't see him. They could hear. That maybe they're grabbing on other people, but they were going after Jesus. They were trying to get to Jesus, right? And they were calling out to him, have mercy on us, son of David. And, uh, and, and their, their cry to Jesus, their calling out to Jesus was rewarded by him turning to them and healing them. Wow, they got to Jesus. They got into his presence. Matthew 9, 32, while they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. Matthew 12, 15, many followed him, followed Jesus. They followed him. They, got, they just, where is he at? There he is. I'm there. They got in his presence and he healed all their sick. Matthew 12, 22. This is all out of just the gospel of Matthew, by the way, right? Matthew 12, 22. Then they brought to him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. But somebody brought this guy who was severely messed up, right? Possessed by a demon, couldn't talk, um, he couldn't see, and they just got him to Jesus. And Jesus did a miracle for him. Matthew 14, 35 to 36. People brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak and all who touched him were healed. They got close enough to Jesus to touch him. And we need the presence of Jesus. The greatest need that you and I, I have is to be in the presence of Jesus. Um, and I, I've been studying this, like I said, and I I wanted to read for you a journal entry I made on March 20th. I was meditating on um, the, the miracle that Jesus did to feed the 5,000 with a few uh, fish and loaves. So let me read for you a little bit of what I 
wrote down. John 6, 26. Jesus says, You are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. On the one hand, Jesus could be talking of our propensity to be focused on things of the flesh, such as eating, right? Our immediate needs. This could be seen as a rebuke and a challenge to be more focused on things of eternity than earthly, what Jesus was saying. But I want to consider another possibility, a spiritual hunger instead of physical. What if Jesus is recognizing that the people's souls, not stomachs, were filled? Either case, it remains true that the greatest need a human has is not physical, but spiritual. Let me just pause here. I'll keep reading my journal entry in a second. But our greatest need is not a physical miracle or an emotional miracle or a mental miracle. Although those, those are great needs. Those would, they would incredibly change our life, the quality of our current life, right? They, they absolutely would. But the greatest need that every human being has, the greatest need you have, the greatest need I have, is to be in the presence of Jesus. It's spiritual, spiritual. Let me go on and say it this way. Even greater than the miraculous, we need the presence of Jesus himself to satisfy our souls. I think this is what Jesus was talking about. Jesus does not point people to more miracles that temporarily change the physical circumstances, but points us to himself as the very source of life and eternity. He sends us the Holy Spirit, his spirit, to fuel us with his life, right? His presence in us, feeding on him, is our greatest need. A miracle does not fill our soul, it just changes our current state. But Jesus himself is the presence of the Spirit of God, and feeding on him is a continual well of living water. Jesus said this in John 6, 27, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man, Jesus, will give you. John 6, 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Wow. And so he says this in John 7, 37, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Jesus is saying, even greater than these miracles is the presence that you can be in, the presence of himself. And he is not just pointing people to more miracles. He's not trying to just fix our temporary situations, our physical, our emotional, our, our physical needs, our emotional needs, our, our mental needs, our relational needs. He's not, he is concerned about those things. Of course, he has compassion on us. That's why he does all these miracles. And that's why he continues to do miracles. But he has a deeper calling on each and every one of our hearts. And that is a calling for us to come into his presence. Before we even talk anything else about miracles, I just want to invite you into his presence. That is the greatest need that you have, is to be in his presence. And I'll tell you, when you're in his presence, all this other stuff 
will take care of itself. But we need to be in Jesus' presence. For miracles to take place, we need to draw near to God. I, I invite you to seek Him, to get serious about pursuing Him. He told us to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these other things will be added as well. But put Him first in your heart. I'm longing for an outpouring of a, a move of God. But for that to happen, it's going to start with us seeking Him, coming into His presence, worshiping Him, following Him, obeying Him, loving Him, growing in our relationship with Him. And then everything else will flow from that. Everything else. Everything else. Out of the being that we have in His presence, the doing comes. But we don't do first. We be first. We are human beings. We are to be in the presence of Jesus. And out of that presence, out of prayer, worship, intimacy, out of, out of everything He wants to do deep within us, out of all of that overflows the outward doing of His Spirit. Okay? So that's, that's really pretty much my whole message. But there's some other things I'm really excited to share with you about observations I've made. But none of this other stuff matters if we aren't in the presence of Jesus. If it, Jesus is the centerpiece of everything. He's there for every one of these miracles. He's there for everything in your life that's being transformed and changed. And it's Jesus. More of Him, less of us. Right? And so that's what God wants to do for you and for me. We need Him. We need His presence. We need to be seeking Him, worshiping Him, following Him. Nothing is possible without Him. And anything is possible with Him, right? And through Him. And so let's seek Jesus. And here's the, here's the amazing um, paradox, if you will, I guess, about our faith. Is in Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, we're, we're told by Jesus, He called His disciples, this is what the Bible says, He called His 12 disciples to Him. Listen to this, that just blows me away. And gave them authority to drive out evil spirits, and to heal every sickness and disease. Now, this just blows me away. And so I'm wrestling with this. Uh, did he just give that to 12 people? Or is Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever? And has he extended that same authority to you and to me today? Well, that's what I believe. I believe he's extended that same commission, calling, mission, authority to believers today, disciples today, disciples, people who are seeking Him, putting Him first, dying to self, putting the kingdom first. And then there's, there's this empowerment that Jesus wants to release into your life and my life. And so that's what I'm seeking. Because I see this verse and I'm like, well, is that true? And if that's true, what am I missing, right? Because Jesus sent His disciples out with this authority and they actually did it. And he's sending us out today, and we are to actually do it. So I'm looking for, how do I do this, Lord? Where are the miracles? Where are the signs? Where are the wonders? Lord, if you've given us the authority, what am I missing? What do I need to do, Lord, just to position myself so that I am a vessel that you can use? I know it's not me. I know it's you through me and you, th you through you know, each and every one of us. But how does that work? That's my hunger, is to make sure that God can do whatever He wants to do in my life and through my life, 
in your life and through your life. And so the second observation I want to make, and I think this is a good transition, is that we now carry on the same work Jesus began, but it's through his Holy Spirit in us. And so Jesus, as a human vessel, was anointed by the Holy Spirit. So I believe that this is one of the key ingredients for you and for me to carry on the work of Jesus is to do it the way he did it, and he did it through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It says here in Acts 10.38, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were, de- who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. The Holy Spirit was upon him. The anointing of the presence of the Holy Spirit was upon Jesus. When did this happen? Um, well, let me just read this. Uh, yeah, yeah. It happened at his baptism, right? Matthew 3.16. It says, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, descending like a dove, and lighting on him, coming upon him. Now we know that there are no miracles in Jesus's life or ministry before he was baptized and the Holy Spirit came upon him. He was modeling for us how we were going to follow his example. And so the same, if Jesus needed the Holy Spirit to come upon him to be anointed and baptized in the Holy Spirit, to be filled with power from on high, to do what he did, then you and I also need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, with power from on high, baptized in the Holy Spirit the same way Jesus was, if we're going to do what Jesus called us to do, to do the same things he was doing, right? And it happened at his baptism. Now, he came into this, he, and the first thing the Holy Spirit did was lead him into the desert to overcome temptations. The temptations were, number one, to do things on his own, to put God to the test and to seek his own glory. So these are the temptations Jesus faced in the, in the desert. The devil came to tempt him, to steal away the purpose God had for his life. And he had to come to the place of total surrender and trust in God. And you and I have, have to go through the same process. For God to be able to really pour out his spirit through us to others. We have to come to the end of ourself. We have to overcome the same things. God's got to do a desert work in our hearts. We have to die to ourselves, right? So we, we need to learn. We can't do things on our own. Nobody can do that. We can't put God to the test. And we can't be seeking our own glory. And so God wants us to learn how to die to ourselves, so that our will literally dies and merges with God's will. And this is not a simple thing. And in in the end, Jesus was able to say to God, not my will, but your will be done. And two wills became one. Two wills became one. And that one will was God's will. My will and your will, it needs to die. It needs to completely die and merge with God's will. And That's the work of the Holy Spirit. First and foremost is to set us free from our sin, our selfishness, our ego, our pride, to eliminate self-sufficiency, which is I can do this, self-governing, which it's my life, I'm in control, and self-worship, 
Aren't I cool? I'm so amazing. And the Holy Spirit, through the work of God, needs to eliminate those things from our lives for the I believe for the full flow of His Spirit to work through us. Because wherever there's self, wherever there's ego, wherever there's self-government, you know, and there's not a complete surrender to God, why would God use you so that you get that glory? Or you try to take it? Or you try to take the credit? Or, uh, you know, you, you see it coming somehow from you? And so, this is a work that only God can do in us. And I'm praying that as you seek Jesus and seek His presence, that you humble yourself before Him and let Him put an end to self-sufficiency, to self-governing, and, uh, and what was the other one? To self-worship, right? That we need to humble ourselves and be broken before God so that He can use us. He can use us, okay? So this is what Jesus did. Luke chapter 4, verse 1 says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert. But then, in Luke 4.14, coming out of that, says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. When we go through that process of dying to self and our will merging to God's will, and we're done, and it's only Christ in us, as Paul said, I no longer live uh, my ego, you know, it's no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me, right? And the life that I'm living right here in the flesh, I'm living by faith in the Son of God who loved me and called me according to His purpose. There is no Paul. It's Jesus in me, right? When we get to that place, then, it's, it, then the Bible says when Jesus came out of that, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And His message, uh, His first recorded message to his hometown in Nazareth came out of Isaiah chapter 61. Listen to what Jesus is saying. He says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me. So Jesus is like, this is, this is not even me now. This is the Holy Spirit has come upon me. I've died to myself. I've surrendered and completely trust in my Father. And I'm going to do what only He is telling me to do, and the sovereign, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, right? I am anointed by him. And then he goes through this list of things. I'm anointed by him to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me, God has sent me with his anointing to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. All of the miracles that came through Jesus' ministry, through His hands, through people touching Him, through Him speaking it, all of that was through the Spirit of God and the power of God and the anointing of the presence of God upon His life. And that only comes when we are complete, completely humbled and surrendered before Him. So the third observation I make is, first of all, we need Jesus. We need to come into His presence. We need to know Him and be in His presence. Secondly, we need to be like Him, and that is we need to die to ourselves. We need to completely eliminate all of the, the self-resistance to God and just trust in Him and surrender ourselves to Him and be filled with His Holy Spirit to be anointed by the presence of the 
Holy Spirit upon our lives, that we need the anointing of God to be upon us that comes from surrender, right? So it's Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's about being completely surrendered and anointed and filled with the Holy Spirit. And then I see an environment in all these miracles, an environment of faith. Faith. Matthew 8, 5 to 13, there's a miracle that happens. A centurion's servant is paralyzed. And in Matthew 8, 13, Jesus says, go to him. It will be done just as you believed it would. Just as you believed. So Jesus says, I see that you're believing and it's going to be done just like you believed. You have faith, right? In Matthew 9, verses 1 to 8, a paralytic with some faith-filled friends, remember, were brought to Jesus. And uh, in Matthew 9, 2 and 6, it says, when Jesus saw their faith, he saw the faith of the friends of the paralytic. He saw their faith and he said to the paralytic, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Get up, take your mat and go home. Jesus saw faith in them, right? In Matthew 9, 20 to 22, this woman who fought through the crowds, who had a 12-year bleeding problem, touched Jesus. This is what she said, or this is what Jesus said to her. Take heart, daughter. Your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. Not Matthew 9, 27 to 31, there's two blind men that came to, to Jesus. And he asked them, what, what, can I, what do you want? I said, we want to see. He said, well, do you believe that this is possible? Like, yes, we do, you know. So in Matthew 9, 29, says, He touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, will it be done to you? And their sight was restored. He touches them and says, According to your faith, what you have believed will happen. It's going to happen right now. Matthew 15, verses 21 to 28. A Canaanite woman's demon-possessed daughter was brought to Jesus. She brought um, her daughter to him. In Matthew 15, 28, uh, Jesus answered, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed right there from that very hour. It was her faith. She was battling Jesus because she was a Gentile. She's like, uh, you know, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. She's like, listen, I know you can do this. I'm not leaving without my miracle. I believe I'm, you can do this for my daughter. And she fought for her daughter. And Jesus says, you have great faith, woman. You have great faith. And it's going to be done. Your, your request is granted because of your faith, your persistence in believing that I, that I, I could do this for you. Right? Isn't that awesome? And now you look at that in the same uh, book of Matthew, the opposite as well. Matthew 13, 58. In his hometown of Nazareth, there's this real sad sentence. And it says, he, Jesus, did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Wow. So somehow even Jesus himself was somewhat limited. It says he didn't do many miracles there because there was a lack of faith in the people there. Isn't that interesting? This is Jesus we're talking about. The Son of God, Jesus, who's anointed with the power of God, the presence of God, and the Holy Spirit. And yet, there's, there seems to be a, a, a need for faith in the people. Matthew 14, it's an amazing story here. 
verses 22 to 33. This is the story when Jesus is walking on the water during the storm and his disciples are freaking out and thinking it's a ghost. He says, peace, it's me, you know. And Peter says, if it's you, tell me to come. And Jesus says, come. <laughs> and so Peter gets out of the boat and he starts to walk on the water. He's actually walking on the water. Amazing. But then he gets distracted, right? He's looking at the waves. He's looking at the wind. His carnal mind kicks in. And all of a sudden he's like, what in the world am I doing? Nobody can walk on water. I'm going to die. What am I doing? And he freaks out and he begins to sink. He does sink. And Jesus grabs him. And this is what Jesus said to him. He didn't say, Peter, that was awesome. I mean, you believed in me for a couple of seconds. Wasn't that cool? You're walking on water. He didn't say that. <laughs> he didn't say that. I mean, there's 11 other guys still in the boat and never even got out of the boat. This is what he said to, to Peter. He said, you of little faith, why did you doubt? He's actually rebuking Peter like, Peter, why did you doubt? Little faith. And as soon as we saw, okay, we can see this visual in the story, that, G that Peter is looking at Jesus and he's walking in faith and a miracle is happening. Then he stops looking at Jesus and he looks at the circumstances and he sinks because there's doubt. I mean, this is such a clear visual on how important it is for us to keep our eyes on Jesus and to believe in him, to believe in him. That's faith, to believe in God, not in ourselves or our own righteousness or the service or the music or the person praying. No, our eyes are on Jesus and we believe in him. And that's faith. That's faith. And so um, Matthew 17, verses 14 to 21, there's a boy with a demon that his father brings him to the disciples. And they can't, they can't uh, heal the boy. They can't cast the demon out. And the guy says to Jesus, when Jesus shows up, he says, he's kind of desperate. He says, I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. And Jesus says, oh, unbelieving unbelieving and perverse generation. Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? You guys aren't believing. He's saying a lack of faith. And so his disciples are kind of embarrassed and they come to him later privately. It says the disciples came to him in private and asked, why couldn't we drive the demon out, Jesus? Why couldn't we do this? What, what happened? What was wrong? And he replied, because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. So it was about faith. Jesus was teaching them. It's about faith. You didn't have enough faith. You have little faith. You just need a little faith, but you weren't, for whatever reason, somehow they weren't trusting in Jesus. They weren't trusting in his authority that was released to him in that moment. Their faith was not there. So he goes on, Matthew 21, and Jesus taught them in verse 21 and 22. He says, I tell you the truth, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. If you have faith, you will receive. That's what Jesus is teaching us. 
Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Faith is instrumental to releasing the power of God and the promises of God into our lives. So Jesus said this one more time in Mark 11, 22 to 25, Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe. Believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. And so Jesus is saying, listen, you got anything against anybody else, you, you need to get rid of that unforgiveness because that's a circuit breaker. If you're praying for God to do something and nothing's happening and you know that you have faith, is there any hurt in your heart? Are you holding any anger, bitterness, or unforgiveness against anybody else? He says, while you're praying, if you recognize that there's anything like that in your heart that you have against anyone, you need to release it and forgive them so that your Father can forgive you of your sins and in a sense, so that your Father can flow through you through these prayers of faith, right? And so I'm just throwing that out there to consider. But my last observation is, so we have Jesus, we need the presence of Jesus, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and right here, we need faith, not faith in ourselves, not faith in our religious practices, not faith in our formula or something, but faith in Jesus. Our eyes are on Him. We're believing in Him. And faith comes from the Word of God. That's why I'm sharing so many scriptures with you. And I'm asking you to dig into the Bible, study these for yourself, get the Word of God in you, because the Bible says faith comes from hearing the Word of Christ, the Word of God. Faith comes from us knowing what God says He's going to do and who He is and what He's doing. And what he says we can do in him and through him, that's where faith comes from. So we need Jesus. We need to be in the presence of Jesus. We need to be seeking him, following him. We need to die to ourselves and let the Holy Spirit take over and have the anointing of God upon us, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we need faith in him. Finally, I noticed that there is a word, the spoken word, that's a word of faith that's used over and over and over again. Sometimes it's an action, most of the time it's a word that's spoken. God's word is meant to be spoken. And let's look at this together real quick. Matthew 8, one through four. A man with leprosy comes to Jesus. And notice this, Jesus, he's asking if he's willing to heal him. Um, and Jesus says, I am willing, he said. Now listen, be clean. Immediately he was cured of his leprosy. So Jesus said something. He spoke a new condition over this man's body. And he just commanded his body. And he said, be clean. And immediately the man was cured. He spoke something. He spoke a word of authority and a word of faith into the situation. Woo! Matthew 8, 8, the centurion's paralyzed servant. We've already talked about this. And the centurion said to Jesus, just say the word and my servant will be healed. Now, Jesus was impressed with this man's faith. He's like, I'm a ruler. I have people that follow my commands. If I tell them to do this, they do it. And he's looked at Jesus and he says, you don't even need to come. 
to my paralyzed boy. I have come to you with my situation. But if you just say the word, I know my servant will be healed. Just say the word, Jesus. Just say the word. Woo! <laughs> and Jesus did. Jesus said the word. And that boy was healed at that very hour. Matthew 8:16 When evening came many who were demon possessed were brought to him and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed the sick. He spoke one word and the spirits were gone. I think the word was go. <laughs> Cuz in the in the same chapter a few verses later uh, there were two demon possessed men at the tombs who remember they met Jesus. And in Matthew 8:32 it says he said to them go said to the demons and the men, go. So they came out and went into the pigs. He said one word. He didn't have this long, you know, battle with demons. He had one word of faith and authority. He spoke to those demons and they left with one word. Wow. In Matthew 8, 26, Jesus calms the storm. He's talking to his disciples. They're freaking out. He says, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up. He rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. In a different gospel, we say that he said, be quiet. <laughs> and he was talking to the wind. He's talking to the waves, and everything calmed down, and his disciples freaked out even more, and like, who is this? Who is this that even the wind and the waves listen to his voice? A spoken word. So we're not just talking about um, the anointing of the Holy Spirit and faith, but faith speaks. Something comes out of the mouth. There's power in our words. God created everything, remember, with His voice. And then He blew His Spirit into us, His very essence, His presence into us. That's when we became alive and became a living being. And now we have the same privilege, I guess, where it's the breath of God in our lungs coming out. We speak a word of faith and that word, when spoken, goes out and creates a change. A spoken word, a word of faith, a word of authority. Okay? Matthew 9, 6, and 7, there's a paralytic who was, uh, who, uh, was brought to Jesus. Obviously, he was brought to him because he couldn't walk. And Jesus said to him, get up, take your mat, and go home. And the man got up and went home. Notice the difference between a lot of times what we do and what Jesus is doing. Jesus says, be clean. Jesus says, go. Jesus says, get up. A lot of times we're like, oh God, please do something. God, please heal. Please do this. Please do that. But Jesus just commanded and he spoke a word of faith and a word of change into the situation. Matthew 17, verses 20 and 21. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say, you can say to this mountain, move, right? Move from here to there. Here's the words. Say it. Speak it out. And it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Do you see the power of the spoken word of faith and authority? Matthew 21, 21 to 22 says, again, I already read this verse once, but I tell you the truth, if you have faith and do not doubt, 
Not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, you can say, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you'll receive whatever you ask for in prayer, whatever you're saying, whatever you're speaking. Isaiah 55, 10 to 11, I'm almost done. So it says, the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed to the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word, which goes from my mouth. It goes out. My word goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose to, for which I sent it. And so when the word of faith and the word of authority, which is with the breath of God himself, comes out of your mouth, the same anointing of the Holy Spirit giving you those words, seen by faith, what God is wanting to do, and we speak that out, that's part of the environment and part of the activity that creates the change. A spoken word of faith and authority. And remember last week I said uh, in the video about faith. Romans 10 verse 8. The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith. And the word of faith speaks. Faith speaks. Well, I hope that you continue to seek everything for which Christ has sought you out for. And I believe in miracles. I believe miracles, signs, and wonders are going to be a part of the last days uh, of the church before Jesus comes again. And I pray that you and I can go on this journey together to discover how to um, just position ourselves so that God can do whatever he wants to do. None of us has the power to do miracles, but God does. Jesus does. And as I, as I summarize this, remember that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we need to seek him and the greatest miracle and the greatest need that each and every one of us has is to be in the presence of Jesus, to know him, to be saved, to be born again, and to know him, to seek him, to be in his presence. And in his presence, the anointing of God, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we open our hearts to receive all that God has for us. We need his anointing in our lives. But that really comes as we empty ourselves of ourself, right? Less of me, more of him, and more of the anointing of God upon us. This is a grueling process of dying to self. It is. It's difficult. There's so much pride in us, so much self-sufficiency in us, so, so, so much in insecurities in us. There's so much of a desire for self-preservation and self-pleasure. But God wants to drain us of all that stuff because all of that stuff is of the sinful nature. It's holding us back from who God wants us to be in Him. And as we do that, the anointing of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit fills us and flows through us. And then there's an environment of faith as we're trusting in God, as our eyes are on Jesus, as we're, as we're learning the promises of God and we're walking in that truth of who He is. Then there's a word that bubbles up out of that faith from the anointing of God and being in God's presence to see what God wants to do and is doing. And we speak that word of faith with authority. And I believe we're going to see signs and wonders and miracles. Hallelujah. So I hope this is a blessing to you. I hope you crack open your Bibles. You check everything out that I was reading for you and, and talking to you about. Study the miracles of Jesus. Let's believe God for a great move. I'm going to pray for you right now. If you need Jesus, 
Pray this prayer. Surrender your life to Him. Give it all to Him. Join me in this prayer. Say, Jesus, I give it all to you. I need you and I want you to be my Savior and my Lord. Surrender my life to you. Come in and change me and bring me back to life. I receive you, Lord, and I thank you for forgiving me of all my sins and giving me a new start in you, in Jesus' name. And now join me in this prayer, just that we will all be filled with the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, we need you. We recognize that you are the baptizer of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we need your anointing to do what you've called us to do. We pray, Holy Spirit, you just come and fill us. Jesus, fill us, anoint us with your Holy Spirit right now, that we have the power to do what you've called us to do, to be who you've called us to be, and to just be filled with that living water that's percolating life to us and through us at all times. Lord, we'll never run dry. We'll never hunger or never thirst at, when we're filled with you. So fill us again, afresh and anew today. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, let me pray a blessing on you as we close this message. And may you continue to seek Him and go after God, go after His kingdom with all your heart. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace in His name. Amen and amen.